0: If you could take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Titus, I appreciate that. Um, We're going to start a new series this morning. When Christmas comes, every one of us has a Christmas list. At least you say, well, I don't make out a Christmas list, but someone might ask you, what do you want for Christmas, and you make out a Christmas list, and we do that. And uh, Maybe on a Christmas list, you have a new phone. I need a new phone, or maybe it's a a new video game, or a new new video game series, or or the system. You need the whole system, or maybe it's clothes, maybe it's a tool, maybe it's something in the kitchen. Whatever you may need, you have that. I don't know if you saw the commercial. I, I saw it last year. I haven't saw it this year. seen it this year. But there was a guy that gets his cup of coffee on Christmas morning, and he goes out the front door, and out of the front door is a brand new car with a red bull on it, right? How many of you had that happen to you? nobody i think that was alexis that would be nice wouldn't it happen to you to have that but well, what is the best gift that we could receive if you think about it, what is the best gift you know the answer to that right we all know the answer to that it's going to be easy especially when you're church god's present to us his gift to us the presence of jesus in our world right that's the greatest gift we could receive but the challenge of that while that gift will bring us faith hope and eternity Uh, And that gift is free. That gift is not universally accepted by it. It's not universally received by people, right? As people will make the choice whether to receive that gift or whether to reject that gift. And and it's our responsibility to let everybody know about him, about Jesus, right? That's about that gift of Jesus. And that's what we're trying to do this Christmas season and through the Sunday morning messages and through you, that everyone would know about Jesus, that there's a, a gift that God has given. There's a light that he's given that brings life. And that light is Jesus Christ. He's the light of the world, right? And we're here to lift that up so everybody can know that. Hopefully that's on your radar this Christmas. I want people to know about the light that brings life, Jesus. And so I want to start a Christmas series called God's Presence in Christmas. We're going to go through the book of, well, not really through the book of Titus, through a paragraph of the book of Titus for this series. There's going to be four messages of this series. We're going to be in Titus chapter 2, really verses 11 through 14 for the whole series. The Apostle Paul was writing this book to Titus, and Titus was a co-worker, of the Apostle Paul, and uh, Titus was now standing in an I- uh, island, a large island called Crete. Uh, Crete is a large island on the Mediterranean, and, and Titus is staying there to, to help the believers, to continue to encourage them, to evangelize, and to make sure that the church is established and is staying on track. And now Paul is writing them, it's around the mid-60s of the first century, and he's writing them to challenge him. And to challenge the people that there's a direct link between our beliefs and and our behavior and between our doctrine and our lifestyle and and there are some people on that island presumably in that church that kind of were making a disconnect between those two and and, and they thought they could have a belief but their lifestyle wouldn't have to change do we still have that problem today oh you're with me do we still have that problem today where people believe i can believe in jesus I don't have to change my life. I can do whatever I want to do, right? I can still do what I whatever I want to do. It doesn't really matter. I can accept Jesus as my Savior. Then I can go live my life the way I want to live. Do we still have that today? Yes, yes, be, be bold. Yes, we can. Amen, we can. We still have that today. So that same problem exists today that they were having way back then in the first century, right? When we read this passage, we will find, especially in the first ten verses of Titus chapter 2, we're not going to read that today. You can read that on your own. The Apostle Paul is challenging Titus, and he's saying, you have to teach your people to live godly lives. They've got to live godly lives. The same is true today. We have to live godly lives. Whenever there is a a commandment in the Scriptures, uh, there's normally associated with it a reason for the commandment, right? It's good to have the reason right behind it. And we have the reason that Paul gives us, starting in verse 11. And really, in verse 11, the reason is there in and of itself, we find in verse 11. But he gives it to us in verse 11 through 14. We're going to read through 15 today so we get this whole passage here. But 11 through 15, so let's read it. Paul writes, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Paul says Titus this is serious that we have to live differently in our world. We have to live differently. Were you surprised when you found someone in your neighborhood and, and you saw how they were living or somebody at your workplace and saw how they were living The words that they use, their lifestyle. Were you surprised to find out that they were a Christian? That they said they were a follower of Jesus Christ? They confessed to be a follower of Jesus. Were you surprised by that? To see that? The demands of grace will not only save us from an eternity without him, but the demands of grace will change our lifestyle and our belief system, as well as our behavior. It should change, right? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Today, we just want to focus on verse 11 of this passage. Just verse 11. We kind of want to kind of break it into two parts. It two demands of God's grace, and each one of those parts give us demand. But I want to read from the English Standard Version, the ESV, because of, kind of like that translation of this first verse, where it says here in verse 11, the beginning of it, for the grace of God has appeared. For the grace of God has appeared. So the first demand of God's grace is this. Believe in the grace that appeared. We have to believe in the grace that appeared. The word grace, the word in the original means it's a gift, that this is a gift from God is what he's saying. This is a gift from God, this grace. When the grace of God has appeared, that's the coming of Jesus is what we see here. But that's not the beginning of grace. That's not the beginning of God's grace. Grace goes all the way back to the beginning of time as we know it, where God created a world, a beautiful world, a perfect world, and he placed in that world, Adam and Eve, who were made in the image of God, right? They were made in his image, just like you and I were made in the image of God. And, but they made a horrible decision to believe in the lies of the wicked one. And when they did that, they fell into sin. And as a result, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, let me read it to you. It says, therefore, because of that, just as sin entered the world through one man, meaning Adam, death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all have sin is what the Bible says. In Genesis chapter 3, we have an account of this beautiful, perfect world that God has created. Now it's turned upside down because of sin, because of the fall in the garden. And so how is it going to be rescued? Well, we have the rescue promise we find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It gives it that. We went over this in our series beginnings a couple months ago, right? But it says, Genesis 3, 15, God says, From the offspring of the woman will come one, who will crush the head of Satan, is what it says there. That's the promise of grace. That all through the Old Testament, chapter after chapter, it tells us, grace, God's grace is coming. God's grace is coming. It says, that you, you had the prophets who were saying, there's one who's coming. We had it in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 53, that there's one who's coming when this grace shall appear. It says, an amazing, marvelous way, this grace is coming. Let me ask you, where would you be Where would we be without grace? Where would you be without grace is a better question. When you say, well, I wouldn't know Jesus without grace. That's true, but it's really more than that. See, God's grace appeared when Jesus came, but God's grace appeared in many other forms. Way before Jesus ever came to this earth in Bethlehem. See, we wouldn't have air to breathe. We weren't for the common grace of God. We wouldn't have intellect to drive cars or to vent cars or anything else. We're in for the common grace of God. And that grace, that common grace of God, shines on the just as well as the unjust, right? Shines on all of us, the common grace of God. Solomon understood that. The wisest man in the world who wrote two psalms. In Psalm 127, he writes in verse 1, "...unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain, because it's all of God," is what he's saying, it's all of God. He goes on and says, "...unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stand in guard in vain." Because it's all of God. And maybe you're a married couple and you say, at least we have our children. We had our children, and that's what we did in the world. We brought these children in the world, and, and they're ours. Well, Solomon talks about that in Psalm 127, verse 3. He says, children are a heritage from the Lord. The word heritage means gift. Children are a gift from God is what he says. They're a gift from God. So let me ask that question again. Where would you be without God's grace? Where would you be without his grace? you wouldn't even be here. You wouldn't even be here without his grace. Do you understand that? We wouldn't even be here. It's the very fact of our existence is the measure of God's grace. The very fact that you are here in this auditorium this morning is the measure of his wonderful, marvelous grace by the grace of God that we're here. And and then he said he appeared to us. Grace is God giving gifts to people, and it's more than it, who couldn't provide for themselves and who didn't deserve it. That's called his grace unmerited favor, right? You've heard that word, grace is unmerited favor. When Isaiah was writing in chapter 61, he wrote about there's one who's coming, and he says this, who will preach good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And that's what the grace of God did. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled all that and more is what we see. And you find in the life of Jesus that grace was evident in his life. You find by providing food for people who were starving, by providing rest for the people who were weary, by providing protection for people who were persecuted, by providing victory for people who were defeated, by providing comfort for people who were brokenhearted, providing pardons for people who were rebels, providing faithfulness to those who To those of us who are completely unfaithful. We see grace upon grace in Jesus' life, as he demonstrated. So the very first step for you and I to really understand grace is to understand need. It's our need. That's to understand the grace of God. God's grace doesn't complete what we couldn't finish. That's not what grace is. That I have to do my part, and God will do the rest. He'll complete the job that I started. That's not what God's grace is. When I'm talking about, you and I can all do some good things. I'm talking in our terms of being reconciling to God. What can we do in terms of being reconciled to God? Nothing, absolutely nothing. All of our works are like filthy rags, the Bible says, in terms of us being reconciled to holy, almighty God, right? Jesus did all that for us, right? He accomplished all that. We couldn't do anything for that. Once we understand the depths of our own depravity and who we are and our situation which we in, then we're in a position to understand what grace really is, the grace of God god's free gift to us his unmerited favor to us which we did nothing for it we couldn't do anything for it right then he says for the grace of god he says has appeared the word appeared means epiphany or or appearance and there is this we find this in two other passages this word by the way it was found in greek literature when they was tell a story of a greek story or a greek fable there was a tragedy there was a hero appeared he emerged and that's what the word means a hero appeared and that's the same word that's used in these two passages that reference into jesus the hero appeared the first one's in one john 3 5 where he says but you know that he appeared the hero appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin and then we find that again in two timothy 1 10 where paul writes to timothy but now has been revealed through the appearing of our savior christ jesus who's destroyed death and has brought life and immortality light through the gospel. The appearing of of Jesus is grace. It's all grace. You can't separate them. You can't separate grace from Jesus or Jesus from grace, right? Jesus is grace. He was grace that appeared in the most uh, amazing form that we see in scripture. And it's fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies that we see that talked about this one who would come one day, and that was Jesus. All the Old Testament points to Jesus, that he was going to come one day, and die on the cross for our sins. And now we look back to what he did, what he already accomplished, right? It all points to him. I love the stories of Christmas, and we're starting the Christmas series here. Most of the time during the Christmas season, we go to the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, uh, because they tell the Christmas story, don't they? And inside of Matthew and Luke, we find Mary and Joseph, we find the angels, we find the, the shepherds, we find the pronouncements and all that. It's wonderful to look at that, and Matthew and Luke do that very, very well, right? and then uh, the apostle paul has his rendition of the, of the christmas story in philippians chapter 2 verse 6 through 11 there's no references to mary and joseph and the angels and the shepherds and the pronouncements but paul really dives into to the theology behind it particularly the humility of the christmas story he talks about and i would encourage you this christmas season to read philippians chapter 2 verse 6 through 11. I read it several times this short passage and read that because it talks about the servanthood of, of jesus came to live to really to die for you and i and and he he was raised to life and be exalted the bible says that he jesus was exalted and that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord that's all there in philippians chapter 2 verse 6 through 11. read it read it several times i also like john's christmas story and and you find it in john chapter 1 verse 1 through 16 if you could turn your bibles there i'd appreciate that And, and this is his rendition of the christmas story he doesn't have mary and joseph in their trip to bethlehem he doesn't have the angels or anything like that but this is john's rendition of the christmas story in john chapter 1 verse 1 through 16 everyone found that it's the last of the four gospels he says this in the beginning was the word this is, a, this is a famous passage in the beginning was the word the word is referring to jesus there in the beginning, Jesus was with God. And the word was with God, and it's talking about face-to-face with God. He was face-to-face right there with God, Jesus was. And the word was God, identical with God, deity. And then it goes, he was with God in the beginning. He's eternal, just like God the Father. Never had a beginning, will never have an end. He's eternal. Through him, through Jesus, all things remain. Without him, Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that light was life was the light of men. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And then it goes on to verse 12. And yet all who received him to receive Jesus, to those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We, plurality, John is saying, not only me, but many of us, have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another, or grace upon grace, grace upon grace. We have been recipients of the free gift of from God. And this... Free gifts of God don't stop coming in the appearance of Jesus. These gifts keep on coming. It's called the grace of God, right? We continue to receive those gifts from God. It's His grace. And when you and I pray and God answers those prayers in our lives, what it is, it's the grace of God coming into our lives. Every time, it's God's grace. We pray and God responds, it's God's grace. Every time God does things in our life, it's God's grace. Imagine for a moment that you would get an invitation in, in the mail and you open it, and it's an invitation from the White House, from the President of the United States and his wife, and they're inviting you to come have a meal with them at the White House. And they give you a date to go there, and don't put in your mind who's in the White House, some of you might say, well, I wouldn't wanna go. Just imagine, it's somebody you would like to go visit in the White House, and, and they give this invitation, and you say, hey, I can make it. And so you get ready, you get on a plane, you go to the White House, uh, you go to the airport, and there's a limo to pick you up at the airport to usher you right to the White House. You get out. People are there to greet you and take you right into the White House to this elegant dinner. There's the President of the United States and his wife, and you're sitting there with, and you're eating a meal like you've never had in your life. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And you always wanted to say to the President of the United States, hey, please pass me the mashed potatoes, right? You get your opportunity that time. You get to ask him any question you want to ask him, and it's a wonderful night, and it's the closing of this wonderful evening. The president is standing at the door, and he's greeting everybody, welcoming them, thanking them for coming. And if you're a woman, you're looking into your purse, and you're trying to find some change or maybe a dollar bill or something. If you're a man, you're looking in kind of the rented tuxedo, and you're trying to find some change or maybe a dollar. So when you see the president say, hey, thank you for inviting me. This is a wonderful meal, but it had to cost a lot of money. Here, let me help you. Here's a dollar bill. Does that make any sense? That's kind of ridiculous, right, to say that, and it probably is. When we misunderstand the grace of God, who gave us so, so, so much more, so much more than that, what an insult it would be to the president to offer him that dollar. What more of an insult would be to our God, to come to him and say, what can I give you for that grace that you've given me? What can I possibly give you? How much can I give you, God? What can I do to make that up to you? Because whatever we have to offer is an insult to his grace, right? Whatever we have to offer to God is an insult. God, can I add something to Jesus? It's an insult to him. What? You think you can add something to what I've done, to the work that I've done? It's because he gives us what we cannot provide for ourselves. That's his grace. That's what grace is. God gives to us what we can't provide for ourselves, what we do not deserve. It's his wonderful, marvelous grace. Dietrich bonhoeffer wrote many years ago he talked about something called cheap grace cheap grace is accepting the grace of god for salvation but then rejecting the grace of god to change our lives it comes to the point where we profess to know jesus but we have no desire at all to what paul is saying to to titus here to teach us to shape us to change us to change our lives to be more like jesus he said if we don't have the desire that's called cheap grace See, listen, a grace that doesn't change our lives can't change our souls. It can't, it can't, because grace was always intended to change us, to shape us, to teach us. So we are no longer the same people we used to be, but we've been transformed to be like Jesus. Grace of God changes people, and God doesn't give out his grace so we say the same. The grace of God was to change you. When you accepted Jesus Christ, your Savior, it's supposed to change you. That's what the grace of God does. So what do we offer What could we offer, right, when God's grace appeared? What was it that the world did in the first century Bethlehem at that time uh, when God said, okay, it's time, it's time for my son to come? What did they do? Was it these people suffered enough and now they're ready? Or was it these people were so smart they would be ready to recognize Jesus and receive him? John chapter 1 tells us they weren't ready. They didn't even recognize him, right? So what was it at the time where God said, this is it. This is the time where I'm going to have my grace appear and Jesus is going to come and he's going to save the world. What was it in your life where Jesus appeared in your life and you got saved? What was it in your life? Was it because there was something about you? Something special about you that says you're worthy? And Jesus said, You you started such a good start, and I'm coming here to complete the job that you've done? What was it about you? What was it about others? The answer to all those questions is the same, right? It's absolutely the same. Nothing, absolutely nothing about any of us that we did or anything that God looked at us and say, hey, that one deserves it, or this one deserves it. There was nothing about us. God's grace, the Bible says, in his grace he reached out to us. And the only passage we have in all the Bible that tells us why he did that is Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9. It says this, that it's according to the good pleasure of his will. That's why he did it according to the good pleasure of his will. Not anything we've done, but it's only because of his grace, God's grace. That's why he came, his wonderful, marvelous, magnificent grace of God. That's why he came for us. My wife and I, we've gone out to eat with people from time to time, and and, uh, when we go out to eat, and usually at the end of the meal, we have a wonderful time, and someone will reach for the check, and they want to pay for it. I don't know exactly what I say, but I know what goes in my heart. No, you're not going to pay for my meal. Let me pay for your meal, right? Are you like that? None of you like that? Am I the only one like that? Wow. And Well, well, you're getting with my point. We, we, we look at this, and even somebody says, no, I'll pay for it. He says, let's split the bill, right? Can we split the bill? Or if you're going to pay for it, I'll pick up the tip. Or I'll pay next time. But why are we like that? Are you guys like that? Are you with me or no? Okay, so now you're saying you're with it. You know why we're like that? And I want to say this as gentle as I can because you're sinners. We're all sinners. It's because of our pride. We can't accept grace. We can't accept when someone does nice to us. When we experience grace, it makes us uncomfortable. And we say to God, how can I pay you back? God, how can I pay you back for this grace? Because that's what we want to do, right? And God says, you can't. You can't. You can't pay me back. We'd rather... Uh, give grace than receive grace, right? We all would like that. I'd rather give grace than receive grace. It's pride. That's why, because of pride. And God knew all of that. And he knew that we couldn't do nothing. We had nothing to offer. So the grace of God appeared in Jesus to give you an eye what we could not do for ourselves. And we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve his grace. None of us did. None of us did. We deserve that eternity is separated from God, right? You understand that, right? That's what we deserve. But because of his grace, God's marvelous grace shined upon us, gave us an unmerited favor. He sent His Son Jesus. Those of us who received God's grace, the appearing of Jesus, we have received Jesus as our Savior. It's incumbent on us to be channels of that grace to other people today. That's what we're called to do. See, it goes way beyond paying for someone's meal, but it, that's a good thing, but it goes way beyond that to just pay for someone's meal. It's saying, how can I be channel of the grace of God in my life so other people might see that? that I can tell them about the light that brings life. I can tell them about Jesus, and they can see Jesus in my life. Because that's what we want, right? We want see, people to see Jesus in our lives. See, remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5-7 through seven in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you're the light of the world, and he says, you're the salt of the earth. And then he goes on, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So now we become grace receivers who become grace givers. And we're to give out that grace. God has lavished his grace on us. Believe me, all the grace we want is there. Every day God gives us more of his grace, and we receive that abundance of grace, and we receive now we're to be grace givers, be channeled, conduits of God's grace, giving it out to other people. Every opportunity we can do, that's what we're supposed to do. Let's look at the second half of the verse. Again, reading from the English Standard Version. It says, bringing salvation for all people is what it says. I, I love that. The second demand of God's grace, believe in the grace that saves. We've got to believe in the grace that saves. Some people read that verse, bringing salvation for all people, and they immediately go and they say that verse is, teaches universalism. And universalism means everyone's going to be saved and, no one, and everyone's going to heaven and no one's going to go to hell. First of all, that context can't mean that, the wording can't mean that, because really it means for all kinds of people what it's saying, for all kinds of people. But Jesus himself said there's a broad road that leads to destruction and death and many find it, and there's a narrow road that leads to life everlasting and few find it, so it can't mean that. But be careful of those people who teach about universalism, because there are people out there that teach that, that go, that they say that everyone's gonna go to heaven. I mean, that, that was a lot of the teaching we saw uh, through years of false teachers. But today we see it now from people who once evangelicals. They say that no one's going to go to hell, that everybody's going to go to heaven. And they don't understand what they're saying. Because when they're saying that, they're saying to say that, the fact to say that Jesus denied the efficacy of Jesus' death upon the cross, deny the meaning of his, of his death, or the importance of his death upon that cross is what they're saying when they say that everyone's going to heaven anyway. Because if Jesus died for our sins, and if we're all going to go to heaven— That means Jesus wasted his death. Then what did he die for? What was the reason of his death on the cross? If everyone's going to heaven anyway, why would he come to this earth and die? The reason he came to the earth to die because there was only one way to get to heaven is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's the only way to get to heaven. And I love what this means for our message, where it says here, bringing salvation for all people, that there are presence for everyone, God's presence for everyone, Uh, What the gospel says, bringing salvation for everyone, what this means is everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone, every person you're going to come in contact with is made in the image of God. doesn't matter who they are. And it means that every one of us is equal at the foot of the cross. Every one of us. And it means that everybody is equal in need of salvation. Everyone you're going to come in contact with is equal in need of salvation. And it means that all categories that we created in our world to divide people up, whether it's male and female, whether it's rich or poor, or in demographics, or, or between race, whatever that is, it all goes away because the grace of God appears, bringing salvation for everyone, the Bible says. And that's good news. Bringing it for everyone is what it says. And that's what it's great, because there's no discrimination of the gospel, right? No discrimination at all. And in the church, it can be no, no discrimination for those who preach the gospel. Because the Bible says it's for all kinds of people. Every person, the, the grace of God appeared for all people. For everyone you're going to come in contact. For everyone who has ever been born, the grace of God appeared for them. For everyone you're going to come in contact this Christmas, at your workplace, where you shop. Whatever you do, the grace of God appeared for them too. So we could share, this is good news for everyone. We can share the gospel, right? Because for all kinds of people everyone not just specific people but for everyone so what do we do with this this morning what do we do with this let me give you three things three things to do with this to challenge you the first thing is receive the grace of god available through jesus christ receive that grace if you haven't received it if you've not received the gospel of jesus yet in your life and and you say you don't know for sure that i've been reconciled with god i'm going to spend an eternity with him you need to nail that down this christmas season nail it down get it get it right make sure you understand that You need through God's grace and by faith, you need to turn from your sins and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God, right? And that Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. On that cross, Jesus paid for your sins completely, right? You need to believe those two things. The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. That's for any and everybody that calls on the name of the lord will be saved it's for all people that says all kinds of people so please accept jesus christ as your savior if you haven't done it that's the first step we receive his grace when we say his grace we mean we receive jesus right if you've not done that do that today if you have questions please see me because that's where you're going to spend eternity and you want to get that right right we're on this earth for so many years but eternity is forever so you want to make sure you get that right, where you're going to spend eternity. So if you have questions about that, please come and see me about that. Don't let that go unnoticed. Don't let that go just, well, I don't have to do anything with that. Yes, you have to. Have you accepted Jesus or not? Have you have you put your faith and trust in him? The second thing, we allow the grace of God to teach us, to train us, to change us. We've got to allow that to happen. We'll get more into that next week and the week's coming up. Uh, teach us to be more like Jesus by, by turning to him and, and not— Diving back into the mud. Does that make any sense? We, sometimes we dive back in the mud. Jesus, who came from the splendors of heaven, he came to this earth uh, for the whole purpose of rec- rec- rescuing you from the mud and the mire of sin and to wash this clean by his blood. Does it make any sense for you and I to jump back in the mud of our sin? It doesn't make any sense at all. Let's stay away from that. So, second, we allow the grace to teach and train us to be more like jesus that's what we need right that we're more like jesus every day we're becoming more and more like jesus and that's what paul is talking to titus here in titus chapter 2 verse 11 through 14 he's talking to about that thirdly we become conduits of his wonderful marvelous grace we become conduits to a world that desperately needs it this christmas season god gives us all kinds of opportunities christmas is about helping other people blessing other people so we get that opportunity We've received the, received the grace of God in our lives, right? We've received it by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, and God's grace is just lavished upon us. But now let's be conduits of that grace to other people. Let's look for opportunities to bless them, opportunities to serve them or whatever it may be, so that people might see our good works and praise our Heavenly Father in Heaven and maybe in the process come to know the light that brings life. Jesus, right? That's what you want. That people see our good works that we do, that they might come to know the light that brings life, Jesus. That's what Christmas is about, guys. It's about the presence, but it's about the present that God gave, the greatest gift ever, His Son, Jesus Christ. To save us for eternity. Not temporarily, eternity. We might spend eternity with Him. And that leads us up to communion. C- communion this morning. We want to remember the light that brings life. We want to remember Jesus the grace of God that appeared in our lives. That's the Christmas message, that Jesus came into this world not just to be a baby, but he grew up and he went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins, amen? That's the Christmas story. Make sure you include it all. Not that he came as a baby. That's what many people think in the world. Oh, it's great, he came as a little baby. No, he grew up and he went to the cross and died for our sins so that we can have eternal life. And he was God's gift or present to us. And through Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. We have a relationship with God. We have eternal life. We're part of the family of God. And so many more things that we have because of the grace of God appeared, right? And it's all through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of that, because of God's grace appeared and Jesus went to the cross and died and was raised from the dead, we have eternal life through him. We have forgiveness of sins. It's all through Jesus. So today, we want to remember Jesus. As we take the elements, as we take the cracker, we're going to remember that Jesus gave his body. As we take the cup, we're going to remember that Jesus shed his blood for you and I, so that we might have forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God, and be reconciled back to God the Father, right? As we offer communion this morning, communion is for, we, we invite anyone to partake with this who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, because communion is for the family of God. It's for those that Have fellowship with Jesus, who know Jesus Christ. So if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, we invite you to partake with Jesus. Invite you to his table, to his fellowship this morning. We invite you to partake with us. We're not going to pass the elements, but come up after I get done praying. You can grab the elements yourself. Make sure you grab both cups, then take them back to your seat, and we'll take them together, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you come and we praise you. Lord, there was no one like you. There is no one who loves us like you do. There is no one who's committed to us like you do. There's no one who's committed your faithfulness and your love and your grace and your mercy to us like you have. There's no one has that to offer like you. For Lord, you sent your son and Jesus, you were willing to come and you died on the cross for our sins. For the grace of God appeared in an amazing and marvelous way. And so Lord, we come and we're so thankful. We're so thankful for that grace. And Lord, as we take communion this morning, remember that grace and what it cost you. It cost you giving your life of dying up on that cross. And and not only that, Lord, but all of our sins, all my sins, all the sins that I've committed in action, my heart, my motive, the words that I've said, the things that I should have done that I didn't do, all those things, not only just for me, but everybody in this room. When I think of how many sins that is, just this few that's in this room, But then to think of everyone in Illinois, everyone in the United States, but everyone who's living on this earth today, but it goes way beyond that. It's everyone who's ever been born from past, present, and future. You died for all sins. And when I think about that, all the sins were placed upon Jesus. Lord, we can never understand what you endured in that moment when you paid for our sins. So, Lord, we come not fully understanding, not fully grasping what you endured, to say thank you and remember you and your grace that appeared to take away our sins. So we might have a relationship with you. We praise you and we worship you. And as we take the communion, the elements this morning, Lord, may you be glorified. May you be honored. May it be a sweet aroma to praise as we come to the table to remember our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all that you did. We're so thankful to you, Lord. Lord, I pray that each one of us, Lord, we'd spend some time with you. If we have anything that stands between us and you and any sin, we might confess our sins, we might get our hearts right. For communion is a time to unite, to unite with our God through Jesus and, and confess sin, unite with our brothers and sisters in Christ together as we take this wonderful fellowship with you. Lord, have your blessing come upon us as we take this, Lord, that we may honor you, as we remember you for what you so graciously do. And so Lord, we ask all these things in that amazing name. Who died for us on that cross in Jesus' name.